Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I love you too. Listen, I'm going to be back from Australia just in time for the start of Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry because honestly, I'm signing up for my seventh year of first year because it's truly that good, okay? And where's uh, Chris? Tidwell, he got baptized. I talked to him this week, and we had a great conversation. He's Sam's dad. He's coming to school this year. So awesome. Uh, So you are overwhelmingly invited to apply at any point leading up to the start of this school year. It's going to be a wonderful wild ride. I have enjoyed every single interview I've been facilitating. Hey, let's pray. I almost didn't recover from those baptisms. Whoa. I mean, that just put anybody else's heart in a bottle. Wow. Like so much good is happening on the earth. So if you're, if you're less hot, you can stand while we pray. If you feel cooler sitting, um, if you want to lay on the ground at any point in this sermon, Whatever makes you less hot, I am totally in favor of. If you just want to start sighing loudly, if that's helpful, go for it. So Jesus, wow, wow. We, I, I just can't help myself but just stop and just look you in the face and just say, wow. Wow, you, you are the most astonishing person I have ever known. Wow, wow. And we're just so grateful that, that light never goes out. That when all of darkness wants to shout, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning that you sit in the heavens and laugh, (laughs) that you are the absolute victorious one. And we just thank you for every life that's represented in this place that is just living in utter surrender to who you are. We just thank you that you are raising up a generation of revivalists who will be passionate about your name for all the days of their life. You are the best thing that has ever happened to who we are. And we just love you, Jesus. We love you. You are our safest place. And I just, I just thank you for just the opportunity to open up the Bible today. And I've just so struggled just to land on one passage. 
because my heart just feels so undone by so many. Wow. I just thank you for the grace that's in the room today, for a love for the word of God. And I I just want to step in the gap this morning and apologize for, to any heart where the Bible has been used as a weapon to, to jab us with guilt, to jab us with condemnation, to jab us with fear. And I just thank you, Jesus that you are restoring a love for the word, a comfort in the word. I just thank you that you are restoring the tone of your voice that comes through the Bible. And in any heart where we read the Bible and we hear a harsh sound, I just thank you that today is the day where it's exchanged for the real sound. And where a spirit of religion has jabbed us with a tone of voice. You you better be holy. You better get it together. That you show up bending down to the lowest places of who we are with a whisper, be holy. And you take off the robe of your righteousness and you cover our shame and you whisper in our ear, be holy, be holy. It's a gift, be holy. In places where we've struggled with sickness and we've just heard a harsh tone Be healed already. Get over it. What's wrong with you? And that you bend down to the most wounded places and you pull out your palm and you say, memorize my wounds. Memorize my pain. Be healed. Be healed. I just thank you, Jesus, that your tone is kind, that your tone is full of grace, that you are outrageously good, that every intention towards your people is good. So our eyes are just fixed on you this morning, Jesus. We love you, we love you, we love you. Amen. You know, during those baptisms, my heart was just in a puddle seeing 
little tiny lives with great big surrender. And I, I got baptized when I was nine. And I can't spot a season of my life where my yes wasn't for Jesus, where I didn't feel, I mean, I got lots of bumps and bruises and pain all along the way, but I can't spot a season when I gave that yes to Jesus where it ever lifted. Even, even in my darkest seasons, my overwhelming desire from the time I was a little girl was to follow after his heart. And I remember wearing this bright pink sweatshirt and it said, property of Jesus, in hot pink, bold letters. Sam got me one a few years ago. Whew. I remember I would show up to school in that sweatshirt. At the time, I didn't know you could talk to Jesus except for Sundays. But I rocked that sweatshirt. Like, this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm property of Jesus. And, you know, like when... When we see young people giving their yes to Jesus, it's real. It's wildly real. And they, they are initiating a history of God that they're going to discover he never gives up on me. <laughs> He's good all the days of my life. And, you know, I used to think creating a legacy in our life to hand to the next generation meant they were never going to have to fight battles that I fight. That they would never be touched by what touched me and wounded me and caused so much war and wrestle and getting up day after day to face taunting giants. And you know what I'm realizing is it's, it's not that we win wars so that they'll never taste what we tasted. It's that we win wars so when giants come knocking on their door, we can say, honey, come here. And we, we lead them into a trophy room. It's not like shiny gold trophies. It's it is every head of every disgusting, terrorizing giant from the pit of hell that we have ever whipped out our sword and taken off with the blood of Jesus. Because your destiny is to wake up every day ready to utilize the blood that's on your sword. Bill Johnson says the greatest tragedy in Christian faith is that the people of God would go to bed night after night with no blood on their sword. And listen, the blood on your sword is not the blood of the enemy. The blood on your sword is the pure, undefiled, knows no rival, living through generation after generation that is still speaking today. The unstoppable, unbeatable blood of the lamb. And it's personal, it's unique, and it's on your sword. And you know, when my girls come to me, and I feel a familiar giant, whatever they're dealing with. And we're like, it used to be like, man, I spent years tearing this thing down. And now I feel it rising up in my house on my watch. And you, you get a little frustrated, you know. But the beautiful thing.
saying is it's impossible for the next generation to know they're destined to defeat giants without defeating giants. And the most offensive thing I've discovered in the kingdom is how empowering Jesus is. And you're like waiting to be rescued. Surely I don't have what it takes to cut off the head of this thing. And you know, it took me years to figure out that's what love looks like. That's what honor looks like. And it's not honoring to the next generation when I step in with my sword and say, let me handle this for you. <laughs> it's sending a message that says you don't have what it takes. You still need a few more years of development. You're not ready to chop off the head of fear yet. Let me do it for you. But the same spirit that lives in us, the resurrected nature of Christ lives on the inside of them. And the best thing that we can do investing in a generation we'll never see is to stand confident in the face of a battle, to stand confident in the face of insecurity and walk them into the trophy room and say, you've got this. Hey, you want to take home this head? You want to go sleep with it, carry it around for a couple days, remind yourself what kingdom people look like, feel what victory feels like, walk around and say, this is the type of person I am, this is the type of family I belong to, I don't run from giants, I run to giants, and it is not failure for mothers and fathers when our children wrestle through issues. It is a sign of training. It's a sign of discipleship. It's a sign that I'm at the right place at the right time because I know what you need to know. And what you need to know is in the very heart of who you are is an overcomer. At the very heart of your DNA is someone who giants are afraid of. And you know, it, it is not empowering. It is not the nature of Jesus to take our sword and just start killing everybody else's giants. <laughs> it is the way of Jesus to stand beside people and just say, you got this. You, you feel like you're going to die. That's totally normal. You could die. <laughs> I died several times and keep getting raised back to life. It's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You got this. Believe in yourself. You're bigger and brighter and bolder and more confident than you could ever ask, dream, or think. And you know, when they, the honor of our life is watching them chop off the head of their own giant and standing back and saying, you did that. Who must be alive on the inside of you that you didn't need me to do that for you? And, you know, I, I just, I see us hitting the mark in passing the torch of revival to the next generation. I, I see us accomplishing our task that the fire on my watch is not going to go out and it doesn't mean you're not going to have to face giants I faced it just means I'm not going to quit chopping off the head of giants until I take my dying breath on planet earth so I can become a sign and a 
So I feel really good about the baptisms that happened today. <laughs> and uh, I got like, so, I mean, I, I sometimes just, I feel like maybe we should just take our whole time just reading the Bible out loud because Jesus says it better. Paul says it better. Everybody says it better. It's all right. I'll try. <laughs> uh, we're just going to bounce around a lot. The first place we're going to bounce is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. The one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. <laughs> you know, your entire being is a spirit, a soul, and a body. Did anybody show up today without a body? Because <laughs> that would be scary. <laughs> And your, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your spirit is the life force inside of you. That if you have been born again, your spirit is what is in constant communication with the presence of God. It never leaves the presence of God. In Colossians, it says there is no distance between you and the Father because he sees you as holy, blameless, and flawless. Your spirit is perfectly connected to the person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It lives above your circumstances. It, it lives so far above them, it's literally seated in heavenly places where Christ is. It is perfectly connected to Jesus in oneness, in unity. And, you know, our soul and our body need discipleship. <laughs> your spirit is living with the person of Jesus. And your soul and your body disconnect you from that reality. And discipleship feels a little bit like being stuck. Has anybody ever, ever been stuck? Like right now, my soul's being discipled. And what it feels like is, uh, I, I mentioned in a transition a few weeks ago, that part of metamorphosis, you know, that when the Bible says, be transformed through the Holy Spirit by renewing the way that you think, that word transformed comes from the root word of metamorphosis. And we love the butterfly. It's like so prophetic and wonderful. And then it's like, but you have to be a caterpillar and you have to go into a cocoon to get to the butterfly. And you know that part of metamorphosis, when the caterpillar just eats and eats and eats, and then it digests itself 
that's a bad day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but he's like, what's wrong with you? I, I, I'm the problem. I know I'm the problem. So it's causing a lot of anxiety because wherever I go, I come. And I can't get away from me. <laughs> that's the beginning of metamorphosis. When you become aware, you are the problem. It's not your job. It's not your, all the other things that we can pick at eternally. The problem is living on the inside of you. And when you feel the absolute utter powerlessness of that, you realize, okay, my soul needs a God. My soul needs a God. And so we go into seasons of a cocoon. And when the caterpillar gets into the cocoon and it digests itself, it turns into goo. Like if you cut the cocoon open, goo would pour out. And it just turns into gooey cells. And, you know, they're not caterpillar cells. They're not butterfly cells. They're called imaginal disc cells. And they're basically unidentifiable cells. So you basically have to be composted down to nothingness so that your DNA can be rewired to a brand new reality. And John 3 calls it being born again. And Jesus is like, if you want to experience the kingdom, you're going to have to go into a womb. And Nicodemus is like, my mind can't comprehend that. I am a large man, and that is awkward, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, doesn't, transformation doesn't happen that way. You can't think yourself into becoming a butterfly. <laughs> you can't think yourself into becoming covered in the Holy Spirit, relinquishing all control and seeing what happens inside the womb of God. And, you know, in the world, we're transformed by working hard. In the kingdom, we are transformed by our surrender to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when you are in the cocoon season, which, you know, when you hear all the prophetic words happening about change being in the air, and you feel stuck, it's just because you're in a cocoon. You're like, you're literally stuck in there. And our perspective, the, the quicker we can try to stop wrestling to get out, the quicker we can enjoy the process of being refashioned, reformed, being healed, being created into something we've never fathomed before. If, if you sat a caterpillar down and said, one day you're going to have wings and you're going to fly and you're going to be pretty and everybody's going to be in awe of who you are, you know, there's like, not even a comparison and being a brand new creation inside of Christ 
cannot be funneled through your intellect. It cannot be discovered through your soul. Your, your soul is never meant to be in charge of your transformation. And when you accepted Jesus, instantly your spirit was made brand new. Instantly you had access 100% of the time to the presence of the living God. But your soul needs cocoons like every day. You know, Graham Cook is like, every day our soul is being saved. Every day our soul needs to be reminded of the gospel. Every day we're teaching our soul who's actually in charge. Because your soul is not evil. Right here, your, your soul is destined for holiness. Your body is destined for holiness. And, you know... Your destiny is your entire being, being saturated with the person of God. And, you know, it's not helpful when we demonize our soul. It's not helpful when we demonize our body. Because the person of Jesus decided to put on flesh. And you can't look at the person of Jesus and say, your body is bad, your soul is bad. No, the entire person of Jesus is holy. And your destiny is spirit, soul, and body living inside the perfect nature of a good God. And you know, the way that you treat your soul and your body let you know who is running the shots in your life. Are you living under the lordship of Jesus? Is your spirit who's perfectly connected to Jesus ruling and reigning? We talk a lot about reigning in life here. It is impossible to reign in life if your soul's in charge. Your soul loves to just do what's normal. Your soul loves to stay in habits that trauma taught us. It loves to be the protector. Like, ah, I don't know if I can love here because I might get hurt. Uh, you know, and your spirit isn't living in any of those fears because it has been perfectly positioned inside of perfect love. So how you treat your soul in the middle of process when you feel like messy goo is an indicator of who, who is ruling and reigning inside of you. If you're like, you should be over this by now, you need to get it together, you're, you know, you're too spiritually mature to be feeling things like that, you have to try it on in the nature of Jesus. Would Jesus say that to himself? Would Jesus, when we look through the gospels, would Jesus step up to anybody that's hurting and say, this is your fault? Or would Jesus step up and get low and, and absorb the issue and absorb the problem? And you know that your spirit is reigning in life when the sound of Jesus is reverberating to your soul to your body, 
Do you sound like patience? Do you sound like goodness? All the fruits of the Holy Spirit, do you sound like that to your soul? Do you sound like self-control? You know, when you're like, well, I just wanna medicate my pain right now. Do you sound, do you sound like a loving, kind Lord who wants to enter in and engage in a place of intimacy in the places you're struggling? And you know, we see Jesus over and over being moved with compassion. And when, when your soul is having a hard time, are you moved with compassion? Are you, are you moved to get whatever needs to be gotten to help get to a place of growth and wholeness? Because you know, wholeness is most visible in people who are not afraid to attend to the brokenness in their soul. Wholeness is not, I never feel an issue, I never feel pain, I never feel something broken in me. Wholeness is I'm not ashamed to go as low as Jesus. I'm not ashamed to get low enough to whisper in my own ear, oh, you need some help. <laughs> Let's get you some help. You're, you're worth helping. Oh, you, you feel afraid? You know, when your soul's in charge, there's, a, there's buckets of, of shame that are dumped on anxiety. Oh, you feel anxious? You should feel bad about feeling anxious. Has anybody ever been helped by feeling bad about feeling anxious? Well, it makes you more anxious, you know? And when something's hurting in your body, when you, when you haven't gotten your miracle yet, you know your soul is in charge when you're frustrated with your body. Yeah. And you're rude to your body. And you blame it on your body. And you know your spirit is in charge when you get as low as Jesus. How, how can I serve getting my body what it needs? How can I be a, a, the sound of hope? for miracles? How can I be kindness and compassion on the inside of me? And, you know, we're called to be influencers and leaders in the earth. And nothing is more important to you arising and shining and taking your place in the earth than your internal reality. Because you can only impart who you are. You cannot give the world something you do not have. And attending to your soul, attending to the needs of your body is healthy, powerful, eternal leadership 101. Because it's the way of Jesus. And you know, Jesus modeled no shame in being humility, in, in being humanity all throughout the gospels. And you know, we see in the story where his dear friends, Martha and Mary, the same Mary that would break the vial of perfume and lavish him with worship before his burial. Like this is like an intimate, deep connection of love. And they send a message, hey, Lazarus is sick. He actually died, and you need to come. And uh, 
Jesus, it says, loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so he waited two days. And he just has different standards of what love looks like. Because we're like, let's drop everything and run there right now. You know? And, and we, we have to stop in cocoon seasons when everything is being reduced to unidentifiable cells. And know, who am I beholding right now? Who is my standard of real love? Is culture saying what love looks like? Is culture saying what being a follower of Jesus looks like? Is culture saying what a healthy soul looks like? What, what living like a revivalist looks like? Because in cocoon seasons, we got to take it all the way back to the perfect standard of Jesus. Because when, you're, when you are in the middle of a cocoon season, you don't want to be beholding who you are. It is impossible to become who you truly are without getting lost in who he truly is because you become who you behold. And we have to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of who we thought we were, off of who we hope we're becoming, and we got to settle it all down to who are you to me? Who are you as the standard of holiness, as the standard of perfect Christian living? And we start to behold the wonder of who he is that does not look like me. (laughs) So he waits two days. And then he's heading off to see his friend. And he says, well, Lazarus is just sleeping, so we're going to go wake him up. And his friends are like, We'll just let him wake up by himself then, because if we go there, you're going to die. And he's like, no, it's not literal sleep. Like, he's, he's dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that we weren't there so that you can start trusting who I am. It's in John 11. You need to read it. It's beautiful. And Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. He, he said it plainly, and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He said it plainly. And Jesus shows up and everybody's mourning and grieving and Martha runs out and, and it's just, if you would have been here, you know, and is just beside herself because her brother is dead. Like the story is over in everybody's heart. And Martha goes and gets her sister and says, hey, Jesus is asking for you, which, you know. We just all got to take time every day and listen to the sound of Jesus is asking for you. (laughs) Nobody asking for you in all of planet earth will ever trump. Jesus is asking for you. And Mary drops everything and runs to Jesus. And when Jesus sees her and everybody grieving, we get to the most memorized verse in the entire Bible. (laughs) Jesus wept. And, you know, the Passion Translation says, tears were streaming down his face because he was overwhelmed with emotion. His heart melted in compassion. When you start to dive into, what does it mean? He was shuddering in his crying. He, He was overwhelmed 
at the reality of everything that was happening around him. And yet he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And when we're thinking from our soul, we could stand next to Jesus and whisper, it's going to be fine. I mean, you're here. Why are you crying? You're about to change the entire storyline of what's about to happen. Get it together, Jesus. Hope is on your side. There's hope around the corner. You're going to be fine. And the Messiah, the spirit of resurrection and truth, he said, I am resurrection and truth, decided it was holy to take time to grieve with his friends. He decided it was just as spiritual to weep as it was going to be to walk over to the tomb and say, Lazarus, come on up out of there. And when we start to separate our humanity from holiness, we have missed the way of Jesus. It is holy to feel pain. It is holy to grieve. It is holy to recognize there's something not quite right in my soul. And you know you've become like Jesus when you can get as low as he does and give yourself permission to process with the king. Give yourself permission to let your spirit ask you questions. You know, we always see Jesus asking questions. He's like, who does everybody out there say I am? He knows. He knows. He knows who everybody says he is. You know, he's like, okay, well, who do you say I am? Is culture defining who I am to you? Is everybody else's opinion defining who I am to you? Is your trauma defining who I am to you? Is your past defining who I am to you? Or am I getting to define who I am to you? Are you yielded enough to be moldable in a cocoon? Are you surrendered enough to be transformed into something your mind can't even conceive of? Because where I want to take you, you've never dreamt up. Who I want you to become has never entered your mind. And I'm looking for a generation who is surrendered enough, who is trusting enough to let me do whatever I please and for however long I wish in the cocoon. And we have to change our goal from getting out of there. <laughs> All that needs to matter is the Holy Spirit is in there. And because the Holy Spirit is in the process, I don't have to be in a hurry. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to end with this verse. Baby, can you actually hand me my phone? Because I want to read it in the message translation. You guys can stand up. I've just been staring at this verse in Romans 8. Listen to what it says. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. 
He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. You know, you know you're starting to sound like Jesus when you don't look at your problems like being unimportant. When you don't look at your brokenness as not worth your time, not worth his time. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law, weakened as it was, was fractured and could never have solved the problem. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing for it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing. And, you know, your overwhelming goal is not to work harder. It is not to perform your way out of the things the Holy Spirit is stirring up. Your overwhelming job is to embrace the Holy Spirit. Embrace what he is doing. And, you know, actually grow through surrender to the Holy Spirit. Grow through yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. That it is the way of the gospel that all of your personal development, all of your healing, all of your growth would happen by surrender, through surrender, letting go of control and saying, I trust you. I surrender to you. Have your way, have your way, have your way. So we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are trustworthy that you are overwhelmingly trustworthy. And, you know, we have no other goal or ambition higher than living a life of absolute abandon to you, of absolute surrender and yieldedness to who you are. So here we are in every way we know how saying we yield to you. Like this is our act of worship. Have your way with who we are. We love you, Holy Spirit. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.